0: Hey, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Ham Talk Live. It's episode number 168. Getting started with transmitter hunting, recorded live on Thursday, June 6th. 2019. I'm your host Neil Raff WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live tonight. We're joined by Joe Mel K0OV, and we'll take your calls in just a few minutes. Last week, Denny Johnson KD5DLJ was here to talk about the Digicom Cafe, and if you missed the show, you can listen anytime at HamTalkLive.com or on your favorite podcast app or YouTube. And you can also catch the rebroadcast on WTWW Shortwave, 5085, 5085 AM, Saturday evenings at about 6.30 PM Eastern Time. Do have uh, some announcements here uh, at the beginning, so forgive me for a couple of minutes here, but I want to let you know about uh, some important things. First of all, our annual Field Day Question and Answer Session is coming up on June 20th. With Bart Yonke, W9JJ. He's the radio sport manager now at ARRL. And so if you have last minute field day questions, whether it be rule scoring or your setup, be sure to call in and ask those. I know it seems like we we plan everything and then all of a sudden, you know, the night before, it's like, oh, what about this? So this is your chance to call in and find out uh, the answer. So again, that's June 20th and Bart will uh, do his best to answer those. So uh, be sure to call in and send in those questions and to help check your antennas for field day, the 100 watts in a wire tune-up event actually started uh just a couple of hours ago or an hour ago i guess it was um, but that'll be going all this weekend until 2359 on sunday so get on the air check out your antennas portable or otherwise um, the exchange is a true rst a qth the type of antenna power height and your 100 watts in a wire id number if you have one if you don't don't worry about it and you can even go get one over at 100 com, And you can even win some prizes. So uh, Christian wanted us to remind everybody about that. Also, June is a busy month at the National Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting over in Westchester, Ohio. Uh, yesterday uh, was an event at the Midpoint Library for kids about riding the radio waves. And yes, there really is a radio inside of that cell phone. And uh, today was the 75th anniversary commemoration of D-Day out on the front lawn and a special event station. And then on Saturday, um, they're going to roll out the Cincinnati Liars Lager Beer in celebration of the 75th anniversary of the VOA Bethany Station. There's a short program. Then they're going to tap the keg and offer uh, Cincinnati Liars t-shirts for sale during the all-day event and a portion of the proceeds will go to the museum. And the Cincinnati Liars lager sales will be through September 21st at Grainworks, which is just down the street from them. And that'll benefit the museum too. And they'll have 400 numbered and bottled bottles available at the museum fundraiser on September 21st. So, Uh, they'll be on the air, uh, from WC eight VOA for field day as well. So if you're in town, be sure to stop by. And one last thing, uh, a few months ago, Sterling coffee in zero SSC was on the show talking about the youth contesting program. Well, round two, is now in play for the IARU HF Championships coming up in mid July. So if you can host a station for young people, or you're a young person who would like to go operate in that contest, head on over to yark.world. That's Y A R C. Young Amateurs Radio Club, YARC.world, and sign up. And also, you can check out the new Youth on the Air Region 2 social media. They're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And there'll be more opportunities for young people and ham radio. And their website is also online, but it's under development right now. Uh, but it's yotaregion2.org. It's Y-O-T-A region 2, the number 2, dot org. So make sure you check out Yoda Region 2 online for all the different youth operating activities out there. Okay, well tonight we're going to talk about another opportunity that young people and old people And everybody in between enjoy, and that's direction finding. So get your questions ready to go for Joe. If you're listening to us live on Thursday night, you can call us after the interview by calling 812-650-9556. I'll give that number again here in a minute. And again, later in the show when it's time to call in, but I'll give that to you so you can write that down or type that in. Uh, it's 812-650-9556. You can also tweet us. It's at HamTalkLive on Twitter. So I'll be back with Joe right after this word from ICOM right here on Ham Talk Live. Contest from home or remotely. ICOM's IC9700 is now available and shipping. Create your own band opening with ICOM's newest SDR transceiver, the IC9700. This new radio is bringing direct sampling to the UHF and VHF weak signal world. The IC9700 all-mode transceiver is loaded with innovative features like dedicated amateur satellite operation. Color touchscreen, D-Star built-in, RF direct sampling on 2 meters and 70 centimeters, dual independent receivers capable of full duplex, as well as dual watch, and 100 watts maximum output powers on 2 meters, 75 watts on 70 centimeters, and 10 watts max on 1.2 gigahertz. For HF, it's the SDR every ham wants. It's the IC7610. This high-performance SDR has the ability to pick out the faintest of signals, even in the presence of stronger adjacent ones. The ICOM IC7610 is a direct sampling software-defined radio that will change the world's definition of an SDR transceiver. It has RF direct sampling, 110 dB RMDR, independent dual receiver and dual DigiCell. And the IC7300 is changing the way entry-level HF is designed. This high-performance innovative HF transceiver with a compact design will far exceed your expectations with RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, a large 4.3-inch collar touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, SD, memory card slot, and more. Visit icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information on ICOM radios. And don't forget to be HAM active in June. Participate in both the June VHF contest as well as field day. Submit your logs
2: and see how you did in the pileup. At HAM Talk Live, we have a million-dollar request guarantee. You give us a million dollars, and we'll do a show about whatever ham topic you request. Guaranteed.
0: Thanks again to ICOM America for helping bring Ham Talk Live to you each and every week. Be sure to check us out at hamtalklive.com and on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Our guest tonight is Joe Melk, K0OV. Joe's a registered professional electronic engineer and has an active amateur radio Has been an amateur radio enthusiast since age 11. Joe has 50 years of experience designing radio frequency circuits and systems for broadcast, communications and radar. Ranging from near D.C. to microwave. He's designed new devices for radio direction finding and has written about RDF and other topics for almost every ham radio publication in the U.S. In February 1998, he was appointed by ARRL as the USA's first ARDF coordinator to promote international style fox hunting and to organize Team USA for international ARDF competitions. He also conducts the annual CQ Worldwide Fox Hunting Weekend. And Joe collaborated with uh, Tom WB6UZZ to write Transmitter Hunting, Radio Direction Finding Simplified, which is a comprehensive text on radio direction finding and has written over 270 published articles on the subject, including his monthly homing in columns that ran for 15 years in 73 Amateur Radio Today magazine, also in CQVHF, CQ Plus, Digital Magazine, and now four times a year in CQ Magazine. And as a technical advisor to ARRL, he authored a new chapter on radio direction finding for the ARRL Handbook and has made over 100 presentations on transmitter hunting to clubs, conventions, classes, and seminars, and Joe's website, homingin.com is one of the leading resources of direction finding information in the world and and i remember him from hearing uh, all about this this stuff on newsline over the years so joe welcome to ham talk live well thanks for inviting me this is going to be fun yeah this is this is going to be fun we're going to start back at the very beginning for some people who haven't got into this tonight and and maybe we'll, we'll get further into this uh, as as time marches on. But uh, let's start at the beginning tonight and talk a little bit about um, how this all got started and the different types of transmitter hunts you can do and, and all these different names, fox hunt, transmitter hunt, direction find. Uh, you know, are,
1: are they all the same? Well, they've, they've had different names over the years, and different names mean different things to different people. It all started, you know, I did some research on uh, on this in terms of the history and discovered that the very first hidden transmitter hunts were at ARRL conventions in the 1930s, where they would go around and, you know, these were... Uh, big transmitters that they would put in a room of the convention and invite people to go find them, and they would use an earphone and put a a crystal diode across it and use that for the receiver, because these were AM transmitters, and uh, go find them that way. So it's really progressed a lot since then. Uh, When I was uh, just a teenager, I went on hidden transmitter hunts in the car on 75 meters, and they were also popular on 10 meters. Those were the two bands in the 50s that uh, were used for transmitter hunting. And as the days have gone by, or as the years have gone by, it's gone to uh, mostly two meters for the mobile transmitter hunts. Almost all of them now are on two meters. Occasionally, we have six-meter hunts here in Southern California. We have had 10-meter hunts from time to time. And uh, But uh, in terms of the on-foot transmitter hunts, which are kind of com- a completely separate animal, they're usually on two meters or 80 meters. And it became a worldwide sport uh, in the early 1980s was the very first world championships of direction finding and that was all on foot and it was really and this and you will hear this term radio orienteering and that's really the term they use over in europe and in a lot of other places where you uh, have a map and a compass and uh, the transmitters are out there and your job is to find them and it can be a pretty big area and that's the the international rules that are used nowadays for national and international championships. Most hams, though, uh, are, are involved in the mobile transmitter hunts. Everybody gets together either at the same start place or start where you want to, and there's a transmitter out there, and you just drive until you find it. And that you can—that's scored either by mileage if you all start from the same place, which encourages you to not drive too fast, or time. Whoever gets them first wins. So uh, that's those—that's a real brief summary of the kinds of hunts that there are. Uh, we can go into more detail as you wish.
0: Okay. Well, let's uh, let's kind of give the overview here, and then hopefully we'll uh, get into the detail um, when the questions roll in. Hopefully here. Uh, but let's talk about if, if you want to organize and i and i know i've got a group of people down in in florida at n1 ksc listening to this if you want to organize a, a transmitter hunt and you've never done this before because because this is the boat they're in right now uh what would you do for the the transmitters and let's talk about both cases you know on foot or the mobile so that way we we cover all the territory but what would you do to get a a hidden transmitter out there for people to go find
1: you know, you know the transmitter is the easiest part of it for the most part. I mean, uh uh it can be something as simple if you want to get a group started in transmitter hunting, have somebody come on after the weekly net on the local repeater and say, "I'm out here in my car somewhere and I want you to come and find me." And you can be, you know, just on a transmitter talking occasionally uh, you know, not maybe not continuously, but uh just just every uh, you know, minute or so. And that's all it really takes to get started. Now, automatic transmitters are a lot better in terms of being uh, something you can conceal, something that's a little bit harder to find. But we always recommend that the first hunt that your group does make it really, really simple because you want everybody to succeed. And you want everybody to get together at a restaurant afterwards and uh, talk about it and see how much fun you had and then come up with ideas for, for the next time.
0: So, for instance, when I do this with my school group, I get them all, you know, situated and everything and then I take off. And mm-hmm. I and I and I remember to turn off my APRS so they can't <laughs> <laughs> find where I'm going. And I and I go and I I transmit for 1 minute every 5 minutes. And so they they get their their bearing and then they move and then they get another bearing and they move and they and they keep doing that and and so I don't have to get a you know, one of these automatic transmitters to, to do that. I just look at my watch and say, okay, it's time to transmit again. And so that may be you know an easy way to start. but what about if you wanted to do one on foot, then you wanted one of those automatic transmitters um, that you can just hide in a, in a park or something that's uh, a little more um, contained and you don't have to spend the money on the gas.
1: Okay, well, generally speaking, that you, you're going to want a small box or something like that that you can conceal if you're in a park so that you, you're not right out in the open. There are commercial units you can buy, uh, the so-called Squawk Box by uh, the fellow in uh, Santa Barbara. Uh, there is uh, Bionics, makes a couple of uh, little transmitters that you can buy. If you don't want to buy something, uh, get an ammo can or a pl- big plastic box, put a Baofeng uh, or other inexpensive... Oh, wait a minute.
0: You said the, you said the Balfang word. I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, we got it. Okay, <laughs> okay, or you, or a walks How's that?
0: Yeah, there you go. We All don't right. have a walks on. Yeah. <laughs>
1: All right. Anyway, uh, there are uh, devices that you can hook to a a radio like that, such as the PICON. A lot of people are making these. Uh, They're fairly easy to make with an Arduino or a Raspberry Pi or something like that. That just sends little deedle-deedle tones, we call them, uh, that maybe transmit for 15 seconds and then go off for 15 seconds. I recommend that the duty cycle be about 50 percent that saves your battery but it also makes it a little easier to find it first one minute out of five gets a little trickier but uh it depends on the skill level of the hunters certainly but there are easily things that you can find to hook to inexpensive radios to uh, make a hidden transmitter
0: so if you you get one of these uh and and you can get these little kits even that you you put together and it like you know turns the transmitter on and plays a, a recording and then turns off and, and and so you can set these things up and and just
1: turn people loose on them i've known somebody that have made them out of old cell phones but you know all you really need is something like a little mp3 player and you make a continuous recording that repeats, you know, make a make a file that repeats uh, continuously, a file maybe a minute long, and if the radio has a vox on it, as some of the uh, Chinese radios do, all you have to do is feed that into the microphone jack, turn it on, and it will key up the transmitter when, uh, when it's time to transmit.
0: Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. That's a good good uh, hack there okay well very good well let's talk about the receivers then we've talked about putting some transmitters out there uh let's talk about the options for
1: some of these receivers and and antennas are really important too well, okay, let's make it simple because we'll and talk about the on-foot hunts first, because almost everybody uses the same technology for that. And, of course, we're going to talk about two meters at this point, although you could probably do the same thing for 440, uh, just different antenna size. But uh, generally speaking, it's a directional antenna such as a Yagi. And for on-foot use, the by far most popular option is the measuring tape beam. Uh, designs are easy to find on the web. Typically a three-element beam for two meters is fairly compact and easy to make. All you need is the measuring tape, some PVC pipe, and the coax fittings and a little soldering and you're done. There are even kits available if you want to do that. And you just hook that up to the two-meter receiver and you could hunt except that as you get close, you you won't be able to get bearings anymore. The receiver will be overloaded. So Somebody came up some years ago with a very clever idea and that's called the offset attenuator, which is basically a little box that has a, uh, a crystal oscillator of maybe two megahertz, four megahertz and a mixer. And with that box, you actually move the frequency of the signal you're listening to, two or four megahertz, and you listen on the offset frequency. And with the a control that you controls the oscillator level into the mixer, you can actually uh, dial down... The input signal by maybe a hundred dB, so you can walk right up to a hidden transmitter, and that works very, very well. And those—that's the most popular way that people get started in on-foot transmitter hunting. There are uh, receiver boxes you can buy. Uh, there's even a very uh, sophisticated one that is used by people in the uh, in the you know, the world on the world stage uh, that is made by rig expert. It's a new one that just came out, but uh, we call the other one. We call the blue box, which is made in Australia is very, very popular. Also, those boxes will cost you a couple hundred dollars and uh, the Rig expert one will cost you even more. But uh, that's why most people get started with the simple measuring tape beam and the offset attenuator for the two meter band. Okay. And then what about mobile? okay for mobile uh again tastes differ here in southern california almost everybody also uses some sort of a beam antenna, typically a Yagi or a quad, and we actually mount them on the vehicle so that you can turn them, either through a hole in the roof or maybe through the window on the passenger side or something like that. And the reason we do that is oftentimes at the start of our hunts, the signals are fairly weak, and you wouldn't even be able to hear them if you didn't have a beam antenna. And as you drive along, you turn that. Uh, Clearly, if you don't have a way to mount it, yes, you can do the technique you mentioned, where you stop the car, get out, take a bearing, get back in the car and drive that's an option but it's a little hard to do in uh, southern california traffic so uh, most people actually mount the antennas now there are other ways to get bearings such as the doppler systems which you can buy uh, they work well When the signal is really strong, when the signal is vertically polarized, uh, they can work well. But, uh, you know, you may or may not have any control over what the hider is using. If he's horizontally polarized or if he's uh, very, very weak, you really need that beam antenna.
0: Okay, so there's some options. and, and, And the trick I always do is when I get really, really close
1: is just get rid of the
0: antenna altogether.
1: You can do that uh certainly and 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 you're right I didn't mention that you also need an antenna for mobile hunting if you're using a beam antenna that can be a resistive antenna generally speaking the uh you have to be really really close before the signal starts going directly into the receiver so that's not usually a problem so you will also want a resistive antenna or as you say uh uh, there's other ways to to uh, knock down the signal, whether you're mobile or on foot, which might even include taking off the antenna, tuning 5 or 10 KC off the frequency of the hidden transmitter. Some people put the paper clip into the antenna just to give them a tiny little antenna to listen with. Those are all techniques that people use.
0: All right. Well, hopefully we've got everybody kind of uh, with an appetite now, and, and we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and uh, start taking questions on twitter and at 812-650-9556 and uh, get into this a little bit more with joe mel k0 ov when we come back after this word from tower electronics right here on ham talk live
2: I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm having an antenna party, and I ran out of PL-259s. Oh, come in. Thank you. Would silver-plated PL-259s from Tower Electronics be too good for your guests? Those will be fine. Thank you. You saved my life the other night. Oh, the PL-259s from Tower Electronics? Yes, they were very successful at the antenna party. My antenna works like a charm. Then how can you ever thank me? I'll try to think of something.
1: Don't be caught without PL259s. Visit Tower Electronics at a ham fest near you. Or visit them online anytime at pl-259.com. Or call 920-435-2973. They have adapters, cables, antennas, soldering supplies, and meters, too.
2: If a man says something in the woods and there are no women there, is he still wrong? You're listening to Ham Talk Live with Neil Rapp.
0: Thanks to Tower Electronics for sponsoring the show again. Ham Fest scheduled June 16th. They're in Monroe, Michigan for the Father's Day Fest there. And July 6th in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Or you can visit them anytime at pl-259.com. And it's a great place to get all your connectors and adapters for all your radios for direction finding. So ties right in with what we're talking about tonight. Ham Talk Live's on the air every Thursday night, 9 p.m., Eastern Time right here at HamTalkLive.com. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And it's time now for your calls. So if you have a question for Joe, give us a call at 812-650-9556. Again, it's 812 812- 650 six five zero nine five five six or you can tweet us it's at ham talk live on twitter and uh, if you're on spreaker you can uh type in the comments there too uh but if you're listening to us on the podcast edition or on wtww uh we're not live on there so uh you won't be able to reach us tonight but uh Give us a call at 812-650-9556 and ask your questions for Joe Mel, K0OV. And and Joe, we didn't talk uh, about some of the rules that you might want to say, okay, well, you're only within, you know, five miles or ten miles or or and for some of these competitions you've got all kinds of rules. Uh, that are out there why don't we talk a little bit about uh, setting up some rules for your hunt
1: Okay. Well, it's, and that's one of the things I like when I write up the uh, CQ Worldwide Fox Hunting Weekend results, and that is that in, in the mobile hunts, there's no two alike. Every place is different, and every group is different in, what, in terms of what they want. Out here in Southern California, there's a lot of hunters that would prefer just a signal to hunt, no rules of any kind. But that's a little unusual, particularly for beginners. So generally speaking, there needs to be a boundary. You need to know, uh, and sometimes that's just like fifteen mile radius of the start point, or whatever, uh, or or something even more geographical in terms of roads or something like that. Uh, so you need a boundary. Uh, there should be some understanding as to whether or not the signal is going to be continuous or intermittent. Uh, there may be a rule in terms of the polarization of the antenna or there may not. It's just really up to the group. Uh, there may be a rule in terms of how close it needs to be to a paved road, uh, the typical rule we have in, southern, in, in our Fullerton hunts is within 100 feet of access by standard passenger car and that could mean that it's up on the international world. There's a very strict set of rules for international competitions. Of course, we have the uh, USA Direction Finding Championships every year someplace. This year it's in North Carolina and we follow a very strict set of rules that's set up by an international committee because the people that win that, uh, those hunts are going to be going on to uh, competitions around the world and so what to expect in terms of of the transmissions uh i won't go into a lot of detail on those rules because they're very easy to find on the web at homingin.com and elsewhere and you can kind of read up about what to expect but that's what happens when you get into the strict world of on foot hunting but of course if you're having a hunt in the park in your ham fest you can make the rules anything you want all right very good well if some of the
0: so what are some of the crazy things you've seen people do on these mobile hunts?
1: Well, uh, I, 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 when I give a talk, one of the things I show is some pictures of the hunt, for example, that uh, the it was on a Sunday afternoon, and everybody ended up in a park, and there was a young lady sunning in the park and uh, she was on a blanket, and then she was barely the only thing around, and the signal really seemed to be uh, coming from her. And so (laughs) I have a picture of the two of the hunters pointing their beams at her and saying, would you mind getting up off the blanket? And uh, and, and And she did, and it wasn't under the blanket. In fact, the signal moved with her. As it turned out, the hider had done a, used a very, very small transmitter that was sewn in to the top of her bikini. Oh my goodness! Now that's probably the most outrageous hunt that, story that that's I tell. Very outrageous. <laughs> that's Some almost that-
0: unbelievable.
1: Oh my goodness. Some of the things you can't do anymore, I've heard of some of the crazy things that they did back in the 50s. For example, putting a transmitter uh, under the seat in a departure lounge at Los Angeles Airport. Now, you can't do oh, that anymore.
2: no. So,
1: <laughs> so now, they we're somewhat limited, but these are the sort of crazy things that you will sometimes find. Now, see, yeah. I, I was expecting a
0: story like... Well, they, they they pointed a beam at a water tower and bounced it off of the water tower. Or
1: you know, I wasn't quite expecting. Uh, well, quite
0: expecting uh, that.
1: That's <laughs> just too common nowadays in Southern California. I don't know what it's like, you know, uh, where you are, but in Southern California, almost everybody bounces a signal off a beam because if you're down low. You know, and you have to get a signal to the starting point, and there's a lot of hills between you, uh, you try to bounce it off a mountain. And we have the mountains to do that here in Southern California, and and that's what a lot of the hunters do. So that's that's just kind of standard operating procedure. Uh and And you'll experience it if it, and and you can bounce it off buildings too, if you you know in the urban jungles, uh there are stories about people that have put transmitters in high rise buildings, which again is a little bit difficult to do nowadays, but it really in downtown Los Angeles that makes it particularly difficult to find too
0: now. Uh let's uh invite people again to uh, write in here at Ham Talk Live on Twitter or um, call 812-650-9556. We'll keep going but if you have a question please please chime in. Um what about what what do you do when you find the transmitter? Is there a way that you can actually prove that you found the transmitter you know now in a mobile hunt you know it's obvious because there's you know an operator sitting there with with everything but if you do the automatic ones what do you do to make sure that people actually found the transmitter
1: well, typically there is a sign-in sheet uh, where the transmitter is, and you'll sign in. And if it's a mileage hunt, you'll put down your mileage. That's an interesting uh, uh, kind of fine point of the rules because it is a transmitter hunt, and your job is to find the transmitter. But sometimes finding the transmitter is not is 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 not what's going to happen because uh, on one of our hunts, again, we have the transmitter has to be within a hundred feet of of a standard uh, passenger car. But sometimes uh, the hider will use 500 feet of coax and put the antenna on the other side of a hill. And even though the transmitter's right next to the road, uh, the signal is really not coming from the transmitter. It's coming from over the hill, which can really, uh, uh, shall we say, mess up the hunters. But uh, So you, you'd obviously sometimes have to look with your eyes. There are times when hiders will put out decoy transmitters or decoy something that looks like a transmitter. And we've had instances where people have signed in on a mobile hunt and they weren't signing in at the real transmitter and so their score didn't count. So mm. one of the things you one of the things you'll want to do is use your sniffing gear, your your close in direction finding gear to make absolutely sure that what you found is the hidden transmitter. Again, this is on the the mobile hunts, on the on-foot hunts, and in the international hunts. uh, Usually, uh, it's a lot easier to distinguish. You're going to find a little box that's the size of a chalkboard eraser. And to prove that you found it, there's a number of ways to do it. There are orienteering punches that are sometimes attached, and you punch a card that you carry to prove that you found it. Uh, There are uh, One of the things I do oftentimes is put a sticker on the transmitter with a little three-digit number. And you write down that number on your card, and when you bring it back, we check, and yes, you got the right number. So you prove that you found it. So there's various ways to do that. Eight one two six five zero nine five five six is the phone number.
0: Uh, let's talk a little bit about safety uh, because it is kind of easy to get carried away when you're doing this. You get competitive, and, and you start to, you know uh, – have some uh, dangerous moments so let's talk a little bit about safety while you're doing a mobile hunt hopefully we don't have to talk about safety for a on foot
1: uh well you actually need to a little safe when you're on foot <laughs> yeah, well yes that's exactly right and i was going to say and that's one of the reasons we use the measuring tape antennas is because they're a lot more eye safe uh in terms of if you fall on your antenna it's a lot better to fall on a, a a measuring piece of measuring tape than it is on a on a uh, aluminum rod, for example. But in the mobile hunts, uh, certainly there's a number of things to think about. First of all, make sure your gear is mounted securely. Your antenna, particularly if you're if you're driving around with an antenna sticking out, so that no matter what happens, it's not going to uh, injure someone uh, by either breaking off or falling down or doing something like that. Have your equipment slide off, and uh, uh, you know, and 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 I've even seen instances where uh, uh, people were using. Uh, batteries and the batteries would short out because the wires would short out or something like that. And that's not something you want to do when you're driving down the road is have a fire in your car certainly you want to uh, i recommend that uh, it's we it uh, two person or even more teams are usually better on a mobile hunt one person can pay attention to driving the other person tends to you know can pay attention to the df gear that's certainly a lot safer way to do it uh, we have a name for the person that is uh, the uh, df uh, operator we call him the navigator because they're usually <laughs> navigating and guessing as they go along. So certainly that is uh just and and take your time even though if it's a, it's a time hunt uh you want to you want to get there really really badly but take the time to be safe. Certainly there's other other things to think about but think safety first at all times.
0: 812-650-9556 is the phone number. We're going to finish up here in just a few minutes. So This is uh, kind of the last call here for questions. If you have one for Joe Mel, K0OV from homingin.com, call us at 812-650-9556 or type to us on Twitter at HamTalkLive. Or if you're listening on Spreaker and you have an account, you can uh, type in there on the comment section. Um, Let's talk a little bit two about the differences now i i grew up always doing two meters and, and everything i've done is two meters i've never done the 80 meter hunt and next year i'm, I'm working on a project that's going to have an 80 meter hunt so let's talk a little bit about the differences between doing a hunt on 80 meters versus two meters
1: well, as I told you, the uh, a lot of the mobile hunting started on the 80 meter band or the 75 meter phone band, and, uh, and that's also internationally where the first uh, big area ARDF uh, radio orienteering events were held was on the 80 meter band. Uh, the The nice thing about the 80 meter band is one of the things that makes Transmitter hunting on two meters difficult is those reflections we talked about from the hills and the buildings, things like that. They don't exist on 80 meters. Uh, generally speaking, if you get a bearing on 80 meters and it's a good bearing and it'll be a sharp bearing because the DF gear usually you're you're hunting a you know you're using a deep null in the pattern of the antenna to uh, find the, uh, the direction that you want to go. So if you have a good bearing and you mark it on the map and uh, follow it, chances are pretty good you're going to be fairly close, and that that goes for whether it's uh, mobile or on foot. Uh, that's the advantage. The gear is actually for on-foot hunts. Uh, the gear is really pretty simple. You can make a just a, a receiver with uh, a ferrite rod or a, an air core loop antenna. So a ferrite rod is kind of like you have in an old-fashioned AM transistor radio, which you probably have noticed is directional. If you turn that transistor radio, you can get dulls and peaks in the in the uh, response, and that's exactly what you're using here. So the, the ferrite rod antenna can be big or small, but I've seen them as small as like two or three inches, for example. And so that can make for a very compact set. And when you're working with scouts, sometimes the really young scouts, it's a lot easier for them to hold an 80-meter DF set than it is some of those uh, than it is to hold that measuring tape beam actually so there's something to be said for 80 meters uh, and uh, the response is, is a little different you hunt a little differently as I said the uh, the rod antenna or and you can get the same results with maybe a four inch loop on 80 meters uh, those antennas have a very sharp null in the pattern. There's actually two nulls, front and back, and you use those nulls, rather than the peak of the signal, to uh, get your bearing, because they are so very short. Now, one of the problems with a a ferrite rod or a loop antenna is those nulls are bidirectional. So, if you say, well, it appears to be from the north, well, it could equally be from the south. So, 80-meter sets have what's called a sense antenna built in. And the sense antenna is like a whip antenna or uh, just a piece of wire, and that, the signal from that antenna is combined with the signal from the loop at the proper phase, and it gives you a way to check uh, which of the two uh, peaks of the, uh, of the loop are is the right one to follow. It gives you sort of a cardioid pattern, but the most important thing of it is is it makes one of the peaks louder than the other, stronger than the other, so it, gives you, it tells you which of the ones to follow. So that's kind of the, how an 80-meter set works in principle. Uh, it can be a fairly simple set. It can be a direct conversion receiver or really a simple superhead. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Oh, by the way, most 80-meter hunts take place during the day, because at night, the skip comes in, and uh, it must, makes it a lot harder to uh, do DF on 80 meters at night.
0: And then we could have a real challenging hunt <laughs> when you get everything coming in. Well— Let's uh, let's finish up here and uh, why don't you take a, a minute or two to talk about your website because you, you've had homingin.com uh, for quite a while. In fact, I think you've had homingin.com as long as uh, since Al Gore invented the Internet. So let's talk <laughs> a little bit about all your massive resources there um, and what people can find there.
1: Well, that's the thing. When you've had a website a long time, you add things to it and uh, just keep adding and adding, and it gets bigger and bigger. I started it uh, I, kind of as a supplement to the column in, back when it was in 73 Magazine in terms of having additional resources and a place for people to find out information. And as I said, it's grown from there. But you will find uh, there's information on uh, beginner, uh Two meter hunts, eighty meter hunts. There's information on mobile hunts, and a lot of information on ARDF or the radio orienteering style of hunt, uh, and, and that's because we've had now a national competition every year since 2001, and there's a, the stories of uh, and photos of each of those is in on the website. And if as a point of privilege, I'd like to mention that uh, we will have the USA Championships in North Carolina. They're being put on by uh, the Backwoods Orienteering Club is the sponsoring club this year. Uh, they are going to be in the Raleigh, North Carolina area, uh, and they will start at the end of July The actual co- with some training sessions, and if you want to learn out in the woods how to do this, these training sessions are outstanding, uh, and then around the first of july uh... first of august the actual competitions will start we haven't had a time to talk about all the various kinds of competitions such as sprint and fox oaring as well as the classic competitions but you can read about them on the website and you can experience them for yourself at the championships the nice thing about the championships is ours are open to anyone any skilled level uh any age really as long as you're not likely to get lost out in the woods we really don't want to send out a search party if we don't have to but other than that you're welcome to come out and try it and learn and there's everybody that's there is is uh, uh quite eager and willing to help you get better so we certainly encourage people to learn more about that and that information is also at homingin.com
0: okay so homingin.com that's h o m i n g i n .com and you can find all that information well joe you're you're a wealth of information and uh I'm uh, so thankful that uh, we got you on the show here tonight to talk about this and and we'll we'll get into this some more I suspect. Uh we this was a request from uh from the N1 KSC folks more or less and and I just happened to think, "Well, wow, I ha- I haven't done a show about this yet and it's been 3 years now, so we needed to do that." But uh we may uh dive into this some more in the future and I uh, would welcome you uh coming back
1: to do that. That would be great. There's still a lot more to say about it, and I certainly hope people will realize that this is a fun aspect of ham radio. It has some importance in terms of uh, enforcement. It has in terms of search and rescue and other important things that are done with DF, but mostly uh, it's, it's just a lot of fun. So I hope people will give it a try. All right. Well, thanks so much.
0: And uh, that is a wrap for this week's edition of Ham Talk Live. Thanks to my guest, Joe Mel, K0OV, and everyone out there in cyberspace for listening in, and invite you back next Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. For a list of all of our upcoming guests, just go to hamtalklive.com. And if you like Ham Talk Live, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. That helps others find us faster. So for now, this is Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, saying 7375, and may the good DX be yours.